It is time for Around the 412 with Smitty and Tyler. Welcome back to another episode of Around the 412. I am Tyler. With me, as always, is my co-host, Smitty. Be sure to follow us on all of our social medias at Around the 412. And while you're there, go check out our pinned post on X and go to the description of each of these shows, whether you're listening on the listening platforms or you are watching on YouTube. We've got our GoFundMe link for the Rockin' Around the 412 Year 6 which is our Christmas fundraiser over the past five years, being able to raise over $25,000 with the help of everybody that's been able to donate to be able to provide children Christmas that Smitty and I never had to worry about where it was coming from growing up. So we've been able to give back and provide some of these children the, the Christmases they deserve and have always wanted. So if you want to learn about that mission, there's about a month left, um, which is crazy to talk about since it, it, we mm-hmm. launched this in July and it's and the time has felt like it has flown by. But there's like a little bit over a month left to be able to donate and get those in for Christmas as well. We partner with the East Rochester Salvation Army and you can adopt kids off of the angel tree um, by I think we do it at Keeks Barbershop. Um, yeah, I mean, there's different if you reach out to one of us and just tell us you straight up would like to, you know, take a tag or adopt a child. Right. Um, it's probably going to be a lot easier if you're local than like I. That would be my suggestion. If you are local mm-hmm. and want to adopt, want that, that way you feel like you're more hands-on, actually going to get the stuff yourself and drop it off, that's fine. But I don't know how that would work like out of state or if you're not local because right. like you're talking about shipping a bunch of stuff. Like So monetary donations, unless you are able to get the stuff to me or to Keats Barbershop prior to December 8th. Right. And so with monetary donations, there is that GoFundMe link. And if you can't donate, don't worry. That's okay. That's perfectly fine. Just be able to share that link if you if you possibly could. That's really all we ask is that you share this link so we can get many people eyes on it as possible before the holiday season wraps up. And also, while you're checking out the description of the show, there are a couple of links for a Facebook and an Etsy. It's our friend Haley Wagner's small business, uh, Everything Custom Designs. Uh, we, we've got some holidays still coming up. She d- provides some custom customized clothing that i mean my mom has partaken in smitty's got some stuff going on with it and i know that she'll be able to do some like customized like kitchen aprons if if you want to have those around thanksgiving time crazy that like we're already in the holiday season halloween and and, then it's practically christmas i mean that's that's how it works apparently not for me but but that's just how it goes and speaking of christmas maybe she can hook you up with some customized christmas pajamas or something like that and it's not just the holiday stuff. It's really anything. Like we have around yeah. the 412 shirts that she can make. And if you're interested in that design, if you want to support the show, go ask her about that. But yeah, we have got a Facebook and an Etsy link. So go check that out. We're three minutes in and we're still talking about all the stuff. Let's just get into the show. Yeah. Um, well, you mentioned, you know, how fast the year flies by. I feel like that starting point of that happening is football season. Once we hit football season, yeah. the rest of the year just flies by. I mean, tomorrow kicks off week 10 in the NFL or today depending on when you guys are watching or listening to this but tyler you got to see the steelers in action live for the first time since 2019 last thursday after we had recorded that's the game that we're going to talk about here this matchup versus the titans uh different perspective for you you know you've watched a lot of games on tv obviously over the last few years getting back into the stadium what were your takeaways i thought it was awesome i I thought the energy especially for uh, a a weeknight game was really good. You, you know, you, you don't always expect the best energy from those weeknight games compared to like a Sunday. I thought it was mm-hmm. good. And especially I'm sure that the, the fact that it was a close game played into that as well. But I mean, it was just fun to be back in Acrisure Stadium, man. And that I, that's the first time that I've ever been in Acrisure Stadium. Um, 
yeah. at least that 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 part that went under that name. So I thought that was really cool. Um, it, it was just a lot of fun, and I, I think that watching the Steelers from that perspective, it is so different. Like different things that you notice either in game versus like on TV. Like there's definitely things that people notice watching on TV, especially because you have the the replays pretty much after every single play that you don't notice when you're in the stadium. But same thing, you notice certain things in the stadium that you don't notice necessarily when you're on TV or watching on TV. So it's, it was really cool. It was just a lot of fun to be back in Pittsburgh, man. I, I, I miss it a ton. And being able to go to the game with with four or three of my, my friends, it, it was just a lot of fun. And also, not to brag, I'm just six. I'm I'm six and zero. Okay. Yeah. That that is that is no joke. I am six and zero at Heinz Field slash Acushire Stadium watching the Steelers play. So I think if if people want to get another GoFundMe going, get get me some season tickets. <laughs> I, I I or or maybe I just need to share some season tickets with Smitty. You know, because yeah. I, I, the Steelers obviously know when I'm in the building because they haven't lost. I was gonna say like if I never lost when I was there, then the Steelers would really be cooking. Um. But yeah, we had a unique opportunity when you were back with, uh, so to your point, you know, in terms of the weekday stuff, not everybody wants to go and then have to wake up early on a Friday. So the person that I get my season tickets with uh, wanted to get rid of her two tickets. So me, you, Christian Sarge went to the game. It was kind of a like sneak peek for me in terms of like what that's going to look like when she does give me all four seats. I had a blast. I know those guys did too. Light flex, by the way. It's just a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Light flex. Um. But um, yeah, it was it was a good one. I think, you know, we saw a first drive touchdown and op- opening up uh, for the first time since week 15 of last year against the Carolina Panthers. That infamous 21 play drive that the Steelers had to kick off that game with Mitch Trubisky at quarterback because uh, Kenny had got knocked out the week before. Um, so they score opening drive touchdown for the first time since then. And what was really cool about that is it was coming the direction like where we are at in the end zone. Um, but did a lot of really good things on that. And uh, Matt Canada, first game on the sidelines in this one, fourth quarter Kenny. I mean, there's a lot of, to dive into. Deontay Johnson scores his first touchdown in a very in 20 games. I was about to say a very long time, but specifically 20 games. Uh, we were also at the, the same end zone with uh, Quan Alexander with the game ceiling pick. So mm-hmm. a lot of action in this one to dive into. Let's start out. I want to talk about Matt Canada because I'll be honest. I, I thought this was his best call game as the offensive coordinator of this team. And I'm not saying it's only because he was on the sideline for this one or what it was. I think there's a lot of pros. uh, I I think the pros outweigh the cons in terms of bringing him out of the booth and onto the sidelines. Now, obviously him and Kenny are always able to communicate in game, but other than that, in terms of the other players on the offense, they're always getting secondhand information through Kenny uh, in terms of what Canada is telling them. Typically having the offensive coordinator on the sidelines eliminates that middleman and Canada can just talk to everybody uh, in between drives and stuff like that. And that's where I think that you are gaining uh, what you might be losing a little bit, but Glenn Thomas is filling this role is giving Kenny some pre-snap information. Um, and that was the one concern that I had in terms of bringing Canada out of the booth and putting him on the sideline was, is somebody still going to be giving him that information? Uh, but I thought Canada was awesome. I thought he called a really good game. If Kenny executes, you know, early on, they probably score 30 plus points in this game. I mean, if George gets two feet down, they score at least 24 and they probably mm-hmm. had a lot more than that. I mean, Kenny misses uh, Connor Hayward on that ball that he threw to Allen Robinson in the end zone. That was basically straight into the dirt. I mean, there were plenty of opportunities for more points in this game, but really I just wanted to start off by saying, I'll be honest. I I feel like Matt Canada had his best game as an offense coordinator. Yeah. You got to give him some credit. Uh, You you truly do. I I think that 
watching the game, you could definitely tell, and, and I don't know if it was more evident just being in the stadium and be able, being able to watch these guys from a different perspective, but like it was very evident that a lot of the problems of the offense weren't necessarily the play goals. I didn't think there was any any of them that were really egregious, especially in that first half when they were struggling on offense. I, I can think I, of one I, play call that was egregious, and you're going to agree with me when I bring it up, is the, the oh, second Oh, was it in the down, first half? Second and goal um, oh, in, was in the, the red zone. in the first half? Where they threw a screen to Pickens. Yeah, okay, the, yeah, that was egregious. Field. We actually talked about that. I think in the I think car it right was. after. Maybe, the game. maybe it wasn't. Maybe it wasn't in the first. Either way, they, it was goal. Regardless, to go I'm, I'm just thinking of like most of the yeah. stuff that wasn't working on offense in the first half had to do with the actual execution of the guys on the field, not the plays yeah. that were being called. I mean, there were there were clear missed throws by Kenny. Um, I, I I think that that's the main problem that they were running into. Obviously, they were able to figure some stuff out in the second half and end up winning the game. But I don't think that th- this is really the only game where when I watched the offense overall outside of like one or two plays, like you just mentioned, I wasn't really thinking about Canada and I wasn't really thinking about how he, this is his plays and that's the problem. And I, I, I think that that's a good sign. And maybe him being on the sideline had something to do with that. Uh, it, it could change the dynamic of the offense. It's It was said was today or yesterday that he was going to be on the sideline again this upcoming week. So we'll see how it, it plays out against the Packers. But I, I think that there was a there was a difference from weeks prior to to this this past game's offense where I felt like overall the vast majority of the plays called, I didn't even think about Canada as an issue. I more so thought about the guys executing those plays were the issue when they weren't working. And I think that's that's something that was more exclusive in this game than there has been in games past prior to this. Yeah, I mean, I 100% agree. And again, like still having that guy in Glenn Thomas upstairs to give Kenny the pre-snap information, I think is vital to me too. So I think that they've got a good balance. Alan and I were talking about this, and I don't want to make it seem like I know this for a fact, but if Alan feels this way i've kind of heard the same thing this is something that tomlin basically had to step in and and force canada to do um we've talked about i I think it's pretty well known that canada prefers to be upstairs um you know even going back to his days i think makes sense yeah i I think a lot of a lot of offensive guys like being upstairs to see the field yeah and that's what i was just saying it's not like uncommon i'm not gonna like bash him for that being his preference but Tomlin, looking for change, has kind of been looking for this to happen. I was told that they've been trying to do this since the bye week, and Canada was kind of pushing back on it. So they played two more games since it actually took place. I think Tomlin was finally like, okay, we're done having a discussion about this. We're doing this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it worked out the way that it did. Allen said that he feels the same way. Like, he thinks Tomlin stepped in. I've heard similar things, so I'm led to believe that was the case. Again, this is pretty well-educated guess in terms of if this actually happened. Don't 100% know that, but um, let's talk about something that I did 100% know and did come to fruition. Roger Jones making his first start at right tackle in this one as well, replacing Chuchakor for. Um, yeah, I thought he held up really well. And I, I think that, you know, while a lot of people were clamoring for it to be on the left side, didn't really get it. And I'll be honest, I think he can kind of lump me i'm not gonna speak for you but you can lump me in with that as well like i would have thought we talked about it last uh, week i i brought it up like about the lack of experience at least at the pro level on that right side like we we questioned it on last week's show so you can lump me in it too yeah well and this was before we knew that it wasn't like 
you know, performance based or it was something that he said apparently during the Jaguars game. What that was, I, I don't know that we're ever going to get that answer. I doubt it. But and they feel better about Broderick at right than they do at Dan Moore. So I, I 100% get that. If that's going to be the tackle duo, Dan Moore and Broderick, I expected it would be this way. Is Dan Moore on the left side and Broderick on the right? I'm just super impressed that we've seen him play on both sides now and play as well as he has on both sides. I mean, I don't think it's necessarily a coincidence that both times he's been in the lineup, we've seen them be able to run the football. So, you know, when he's out there, running to his side has been a strength. When they have you know, Samalo pulling to that side and you have Daniels and him and they, you know, using Darnell. There was times in this game where they had Washington one-on-one with Landry, who's their best pass rusher. And it was working like th- this is the way that it should be in my opinion. Um, but yeah, I was very impressed with Broderick. Don't think he's going to exit this lineup at this point, whether that, you know, if Chooch stays in the doghouse or what, even if Chooch works his way back into the lineup, I would think that we then see Broderick at left. I don't know that you want to keep, you know, throwing him around and switching, making him switch sides. But, you know, for, for a young player in his first year, a rookie that we expected to struggle early on, it, it's very promising that he's shown the ability to play on both sides. It is promising. And and something that we, we really said after he was drafted and we were, when we talk, we're talking about him that we brought up that super athletic dude, but also super raw. And, and specifically, like, we thought that he would be better early on in, in the pass protection. And we thought that run blocking at an NFL level is something that he would have to work on. And so to have him at this level, at least in, in the limited games that he's played in and in the significant snaps he's played in, to have him play at this type of level this early on, it, I, I think that is great just from a not only just a like value perspective, proving that your first round pick was right, but it's something that the Steelers need because of the struggles that they've had on that O-line for seemingly the past four or five seasons. There, I mean, there's been several seasons where whether it is a whether it's Chooks or someone else along across that offensive line that it, it just doesn't cohesively go together, but they're starting to figure things out. And so the, the fact that he's able to not only be able to do what we expected in pass protection and he uses his athleticism, but the fact that he's taking on some of these, these higher stout defenders and being able to run to that side, I think that's a great thing, especially on a side that we weren't expecting him to play on at all. Like when, when he drafted him, everybody pretty much expected, especially after – after we started to get into the summer, that if he was going to play, it was going to be on that that left side. Nobody really expected him at all this year to that it was going to be moved to that right side. So the fact that he be able to was able to do that and still play at that high level, I think that is great for Steeler fans. It shows a guy you have versatility with, where you whether you need him to play left tackle or right tackle, he's he's done well at both so far. So I think that it's proving to not just be a great pick for a, for the Steelers but someone that they can foundationally build upon for this offensive line moving forward and be a staple to that offensive line. Also, you want to know what Chuk said? This is what he said. LOL, that's Dan Moore Jr.'s replacement, not mine. <laughs> Take it how you want to. I am back. Also, shout out to Martavis Bryant with signing with a contract with yeah. the Dallas Cowboys, by the way. Yeah, that's really cool. I, I hope that that works out for him. Um, 
I, I wanted this, at least for me personally, I was actually, I felt better about Broderick's run blocking right off the bat and was questioning his pass protection coming in because to me, I, I thought the footwork was the part of his game that was lacking. And maybe I overvalue the footwork in terms of the offensive tackles specifically, but like that's why Anton Harrison, who ended up being a pick for the Jaguars late in the first, was so high on my board because I thought he had the best footwork of the offensive lineman in the class. Um, so I thought Broderick had a lot to clean up there. I haven't necessarily seen that like pop off the page to me that it's been really bad, but I, I always thought like he could be an above average run blocker out of the gate. I was questioning his pass pro, but he hasn't gotten Kenny killed to this point. Like I thought he was going to take a lot of lumps there. I'm not saying he hasn't gotten beat. There was actually a play and this is actually in run blocking that pass pro where, uh, I think it was Jeffrey Simmons actually that's rushing from the edge and gets in on him, but Jalen Warren spins off of it. He like he beats Broderick pretty clean inside. Jalen Warren spins off it and then almost scores a touchdown, but was marked out at the one. Deontay Johnson ends up scoring a touchdown uh, shortly after that. But yeah, Broderick's been way better than I expected early, and I think that you could say that about you know the, the all the rookies that are playing right now. Other like Darnell Washington, there's not really much to go based off of. I'm mm-hmm. kind of confused by the lack of snaps not like necessarily the lack of receiving work but the lack of snaps like especially for a team that's struggling to block you would think that you would want that extra offensive lineman in quotations in darnell washington out on the field a lot more as a blocker so bit confused by that but the early returns for everybody else i mean even herbig in his limited snaps he's flashing every time that he's on the field joey porter jr obviously has been fantastic uh early on and he on tuesday prior to the game two days before the game said that he wanted 10 in this matchup and Tomlin gave it to him a lot. So, uh, and he, and he performed really well in that Keanu Benton's been awesome all year. So again, I go back to the point while I was somebody that was also clamoring for these rookies to play early, I think there's something to be said about the Steelers taking the patient approach with them and letting them develop and get them ready so that they can play as well as they have right now. I don't know if they throw them to the fire in week one, what that looks like. Would they still be performing the same way? We obviously don't have an answer to that, but we know that they're performing well right now. So I think there's something to be said about the way they've been coached up to this point. Well, I I think that a lot of people undervalue the mental side of not just football, but sports in general. Like so much of how an athlete performs is mental and what their mental state is while they're they're playing. And so I don't want to say that this player – because uh, he probably shouldn't have been taken where it was. But I feel like if you would have played someone like, say, Joey Porter Jr., for example, if you if you played him early and he struggles early on, I'm not going to say he is he would have been this player, but a guy I immediately think of is Artie Burns. Artie Burns. Yeah. Artie Burns. He, I, I think that based off of where he was drafted and then you he was basically thrust into that position right away because they had no other options. And he wasn't the guy that they actually wanted. That guy was taking a pick before by the Bengals. And so you get into a situation where that guy gets in earlier than you would want him to play, and he struggles early on. And then I don't think he ever mentally recovers from that because you start second-guessing yourself as a player. And whether you think a professional athlete should do that or not, I mean, they're humans. They're, they're human beings. It's just something that's going to happen if they get in, put into a situation like that. So I, I think that from that perspective, to have the Steelers that be in a situation that they were where they were able to hold off on these guys and wait a little bit to play them. Because we, I mean, we said, at least for Broderick Jones, that 
it, we thought that it could be a smart thing to do with putting Dan Moore Jr. in. And it's mm-hmm. not necessarily just because you're the first round pick you're going to play. And same thing with Joey Porter Jr. Like you kind of wanted to like ease him into it a little bit because he there were things that Joey Porter Jr. had to work on and adjust to that NFL level. And that just goes with everybody that the Steelers drafted. And this goes for not just this draft class, but any draft class. But this one specifically because of how much talent they seemingly had. I mean, we were talking about it and I and I said it like this is the best draft class of my lifetime on paper whenever they that that class was drafted. And so whenever they have that and you have the athletes that you think you have to I don't think that people value enough how much men, like mentally tough you have to be to play professional sports. And so to the fact that they didn't put these guys in those situations to get beaten. I mean, imagine if Project Jones is put in week one and Nick Bosa just eats him alive. And from then on out, his entire season could be ruined mentally from that point on because he he thought that he was going to be the guy from week one and he was thrust in that position and then he fails immediately or again if in week two against the browns if miles garrett did the same thing to him like this is something Mm -hmm. that i don't think a lot of people think about when they think about how these athletes are performing that like how mentally tough they are in the mental state that they can be in i think that the steelers did a smart thing and putting these guys in the right positions to have that right mentality whenever their number was called upon. So I think it was a smart idea. I think, too, this conversation probably isn't as loud if the guys in front of them are performing, right? Like, if the two tackles, if Chutes and Dan Moore have played well up to this point, if Levi Wallace and Patrick Peterson were playing well up to this point, sure, those guys where they were drafted, you'd probably like to see them on the field. And I'm sure there's some conversation about it. But I don't think the conversation's nearly as loud if you are getting adequate play from those guys. I think why the conversation got to the point that it did and people pounding the table to see those guys was because the incumbent starters were not performing well. And we were like, OK, I mean, if this is going to be the case, let's see what we got in these guys. They're not going to do worse. Let them take their lumps right now. So I think that played into it more than anything else. Yeah, I agree 100 percent. I mean, the we're not we're not really, really clamoring for a lot of these guys if the guys ahead of them are performing, but they're not. So we get to, mm-hmm. and the, that. That's also the benefit of the Steelers that they they're not bringing in these guys as reinforcements, and then they struggle too. They're 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 lucky that these guys are performing the way they are. Because imagine if they weren't right now. Imagine how the, yeah. the state of the Steelers if Joey Porter Jr. Imagine the state of the secondary if Joey Porter Jr. doesn't play the way he has been. Yeah. Yeah. Granted, I will say I thought Levi had his best game of the season uh, on Thursday night, and I think that. Uh, we we talked about like Levi losing his job to Joey Porter Jr. I don't Anybody think that's would the have case. their best game covering against the the Titans wide receivers. Come on, yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> I get I get that, and I'm not saying like let's see what he does on Sunday. I, I'm be curious how they match up with the Packers guys. I don't think that we're gonna see Joey like go to any one receiver the way that he did with Hopkins. I don't think the Packers really have that type of dude. Like Christian Watson's probably their best receiver, but he gets targeted like four times a game. Like. So I, I don't know what they're going to match up with the Packers there, but I, I was intrigued um, by what Levi did this week. Maybe he needed a little bit of a reset. Maybe the injury was kind of a blessing in disguise for him. But we thought like he would be the guy losing his job to Joey Porter Jr. No, no. It's really Shannon Sullivan because Patrick Peterson's moving inside and mm-hmm. doing some safety things as well. And you're seeing Joey Porter and Levi both play outside 
when they go into these packages. So, you know, it's really him that is Shannon Sullivan that is that's losing out here. And this just and Darius Rush played 40 snaps on Thursday, too. I don't want to, like, keep harping on this, but man, it really goes to show the Steelers thought absolutely nothing of Desmond King before releasing him. <laughs> that's that's very like, true. And I also think this goes back to our conversation, I believe, from last week where we talked about what they're going to have to do to replace Minka and how that has like a ripple effect of what the secondary is going to look like. And ultimately, the Steelers are kind of doing what we said they should do or the, the mindset they should have where they need to make up a secondary of playing their best guys. And if that's having Chandon Sullivan come to the sideline, moving Patrick Peterson to the inside and having him dabble in some safety areas and then ha- having Joey Porter Jr. on the field all the time, that's what they needed to do. So the fact that they were doing Darius that. Darius Rush is going to be a part of this too. It, and it, Yeah, it, absolutely. And it kind of shows that the, the, men, the mindset that we had, that, that we thought they would do was, was kind of right to kind of pat ourselves on the back a little bit. That, that we just said is it's basically going to be like a secondary by committee. I think you saw that a lot on, on Thursday with some of the packages that they were, mm-hmm. they were throwing out there. I mean, a lot of like, like when I feel like I saw a lot of like nickel and dime over the, the entire game on Thursday night, like having a lot yeah. of five, six defensive back guys out there, except for the one play where apparently you have Nick uh, or Cole Holcomb on, on Deandre Hopkins. I don't know what they were doing on that one, but regardless of that, I, I, I think that, that's a smart thing for the Steelers to do. When you're replacing a guy like Minka and the talent that he has, you're going to have to bring in just your best guys on the field. And we had questions of Chandon Sullivan coming into the season. It's not like he's been great this season. So I think if Patrick Peterson, you decide that he's been, he's the, going to be the better player on the inside and you have him doing some safety work as well. To, and that allows Joey Porter Jr. to be on the outside and then have, having Levi Wallace still out there as well. That's the best thing for the Steelers to do in their defensive backs. Yeah, I mean, Shannon Sullivan's whatever. Like, I I don't feel bad about him being on the roster. Um, you know, if he needs to go and play like 10 to 12 snaps or something like that, or if an injury occurs, obviously to have a guy like that in the waiting, like you could do a lot worse. But I'm glad you mentioned one name that you did there because this is the unfortunate part of Thursday's game, losing Cole Holcomb for the season. Man, afterwards, hearing about it, it's lucky that it's just for the season. I mean, it sounds like there was some legit concern there that that was a patellar tendon injury and that it could have threatened his career. But they're they're saying he's expected to make a full recovery, obviously knocked out for the season. Very gruesome injury. They didn't show the replay at home. Obviously, we were there for it. And every time that that happens, they show one replay on the, the board there because they don't realize that like an injury happened on it and they mm-hmm. show it. And then they're like, ah, crap. So they hurry up and like take it off and just throw up the logo. Um, but I, you know, I'm not saying people are like minimizing what this loss is or anything like that. I think people view it as a pretty significant loss, but I think because it's not, you know, TJ or Alex or, or Cam or Minka, there wasn't that sense of like, this is kind of like season altering. And I do think the Steelers have done a nice job, um, with building up a little bit of depth at that position. Um, I think they still could stand to add at least one more body there or bring up somebody from the practice squad, but man, losing Cole Holcomb, especially the way that like this season has been trending for him, seemingly playing better every single week. And you could say that about just the the uh, inside linebacker group as a whole. It's, it's a big loss for this team. I'm not going to downplay it on here. I think that this is a big loss for the Steelers. And I'm curious to see how they, they minimize that absence. Well, yeah, I mean, up to this point in the season, he was your number one guy over the middle. And we're the green dot. Now Quan's going to have to wear it. Yeah. And, and you have... Quan Alexander, Landon Robertson, and Mark Robinson still. I, I maybe mm-hmm. this something has happened. Have they brought up a fourth guy yet, or, or brought in a four, no, fourth I mean, middle they linebacker? Have, 
they have uh, Michael Walker on the uh, practice squad as well as Tyreek Carpenter. Uh, I'm not sure if one of those guys will come up. There's some guys that are like intriguing around the league, though, whether it's on like another practice squad or something. Heck, like Anthony Barr is out there, who I know plays more of like an outside linebacker role, but that could just mean you shift uh, Quan into the role that Cole Holcomb was playing on the field if you had all three on the field at one time. Mm-hmm. I- I'd be interested in that type of addition. Um, but yeah, there, there's some intriguing guys. I, I do think that like whether it's before this Packers game or maybe the following week or something like that, like I, I think within the next couple weeks, we do see another inside linebacker added or or elevated from their practice squad. They're going to have a fourth linebacker on the roster in, in the near future, in my opinion. What do you think this means for like, obviously, Quan Alexander and Alamond Roberts has played their yeah. fair share. Do you think this means anything for Mark Robinson? Because he they showed a little bit of promise in the limited time we've seen him in game action going back to last season, and so he's a guy that I'd be curious to see what what he can do on the field this season. But I'm not so mm-hmm. sure that this necessarily means he's going to be playing all that more, well, even though there's only three guys still. What's interesting is he's kind of more cut from the Landon Roberts cloth, or you know, than the Cole Holcomb cloth. Mm-hmm. Um, what I think it, I, I do think we'll see him play some against the Packers. But here's what I think really happens. In, and I'm saying that because I don't think Minka comes back against the Packers. If he does, great. But I'm expecting it's going to be another week before we see that happen. Um, Keanu Neal, to me, is really going to be a guy that plays as a linebacker once Minka's back. So I think he's going to take on a lot of those duties in the box and playing around the line of scrimmage, basically acting as a dime linebacker uh, with the loss of Cole Holcomb. But you can't do that until Minka's back because right now he's playing traditional safety. So... To me, that's the guy that probably his role switches. Uh, but for this Packers game, I do think that we see some of Mark Robinson. I wouldn't expect it to be more than like a dozen snaps. Um, but he's definitely going to see time like and get his feet wet. Because Landon Roberts, I, I don't know that he is the gas tank anyways to be a three down guy, but it really doesn't fit what he does anyway. Uh, Quan probably is going to play, in my opinion, nearly 100% of the snaps on defense, I would think. Um so, yeah, to answer your question, I think that that uh, Mark Robinson does play some against the Packers. I think that role will decrease once Minka comes back because I think Keanu Neal plays kind of like a linebacker once that happens. You think he'd be similar to kind of how they they transitioned Marcus Allen into that, that like – I mean, they, they basically moved Marcus Keanu, Allen to the full time. Yeah, yeah. Where, I mean, it, it, I don't think that quite – quite exactly it would be the same because Marcus Allen they near the end of his tenure they basically made him a linebacker that never played um but I I, when I envision like a guy that's playing safety and and kind kind of moving into that dime linebacker that's the kind of player that I'd envision though like that kind of play style that Marcus Allen had sure yeah I think well, the thing is, too, Keanu hasn't been very good. Like, I, I'm talking about, like, a role that you would envision if he's playing well, but that hasn't happened, in my opinion, as a, in a Steeler uniform yet. I thought he was okay well, against I the I tell Raiders. you what, then he'll, he'll play exactly like Marcus Allen did. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I just – we're past this point, but I I don't know if, if they did, if they tried to at all. If I'm the Steelers, I've been trying to get Terrell Edmonds back in here, but that's obviously long gone. So, um, he could have just switched locker rooms after yeah. the game. Could have. <laughs> um, but uh to answer your question, kind of, but I do think that he he can still like Marcus Allen, I wouldn't ask to do any type of safety stuff. Uh mm-hmm. I think Keanu Neal, we're seeing it happen right now. Like what he's doing right now, Marcus Allen would have never been in position to do. 
they wouldn't ask him to ever play safety, even with one injury happening. Marcus Allen would have been like what Miles Killebrew is right now, a guy that's listed as a safety but playing zero snaps on defense, mm-hmm. like we saw against Tennessee. So, um, yeah, I think that's kind of my solution to the problem that's going to be presented without Cole Holcomb. I think it is a big loss, but you know, like I said, I think that they've they've done a nice job in adding like the Quan Alexander addition on uh, training camp is going to pay huge dividends the rest of the season. I think we're going to see that. I think we started to see that really. Uh, I mean, he's played pretty good ball all year, but I think on Thursday night, his best game and then sealed it with a pick too. I think you're really starting to see those dividends pay off of adding a guy like him. Also, can we just talk about like, can, can the Steelers never win a game comfortably? Like why did the oh, Titans yeah. have to get into the position that they were when they were mm-hmm. threatening for a touchdown? It's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah I mean, that's, you would, I would have been curious as to how the Steelers were defending them if it was just a field goal that Tennessee needed to tie, what the difference would have been. But knowing that Tennessee had to get into the end zone, I knew that's exactly how that was going to go. Like, unless they would have, but they, they should have gotten off the field earlier. I mean, again, this kind of goes the same way as the Jaguars one. I, I hate complaining about officials. I don't think that they rarely, to me, determine the outcome of a game. I don't even think they determine the Jaguars one. I still think the Jaguars win that game. Um, even with how bad the officials were, but in this one, man, I mean, especially in the first nine in the first quarter, uh, end up with what 13 or 14 overall. And those are only ones that don't get declined as well. So they threw a lot more flags than that raw number shows. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think that put Tennessee in position. I fully expected that to be what that game was down the stretch. Yeah. Uh, Between the two teams, question. 17 penalties that were 17 that were called. Um, there yeah. were definitely more thrown that were declined. Yeah, absolutely ridiculous. I mean, I mean, watch. I remember in the first quarter, their first drive, just counting the penalties like to you mm-hmm. in the in the seats. Just like there were like five on the first couple drives. It yeah. was ridiculous. There's a player on offense that I'd like to talk about. Uh, actually, there's a couple players on offense I'd like to. And, and listen, I'm going to say this right now. Unless you want to talk about it, we don't have an answer to it. We saw fourth quarter Kenny happen again in this one. We don't know why this is a thing. It just is. Uh, and I don't. we don't have an answer to it. So for the time being, just expect to see this happen week in and week out. As long as the game is within reach in the fourth quarter, he's probably going to find a way to pull it out. Anyway, that's not what I want to talk about because we seemingly talk about it every single week. I want to talk about Jalen Warren, who I think uh, is really underappreciated, but I think is starting to get his flowers um, from Steelers fans. I, I think a part of it, and this is what I don't like about this conversation, I think a part of it is frustration with Najee that people like Jalen and you know the inability to separate the two and just say, Jalen's just a really good player. Like, Let's not even have Najee be a part of the conversation. The fact that the Steelers fi- found this guy as an undrafted free agent after spending you know a few mid-round picks trying to find a running back like this guy is mm-hmm. unbelievable. I mean, some of the best contact balance I've seen. I, I'm like the names that I've thrown out there. Again, this isn't comparing what their careers are going to be. You're saying they're one to one comparisons, but just watching him play reminds me a little bit of like a mixture between Austin Eckler and Maurice Jones Drew. Just like this five foot eight bowling ball that you get the ball to him in space. Some of the best contact balance I've seen can run guys over. We saw that uh, in this game. Um, 
really good in space and, and just the variety of ways that you can use him. You know, you can run trap with him. You can get in the ball on end arounds. You can get in the ball on screen plays. He can run a little bit of, you know, he's got somewhat of a route tree. You're not going to obviously line him up outside and have him run a go route or anything like right. that, but he can do some stuff in terms of running routes in the flat and, and short ends, short outs. Um, so I, I just, I think he gets better every single week. I don't think that he gets enough touches within this offense, you know, like 14, that's an okay number. Um, he's playing nearly 50% of the snaps though. I'd like to see him and Najee on the field together a lot more than they do, but man, like I said, week in and week out, this is a guy that just jumps off the page to me. I think if you're talking about like a consistency within the offense, man, I, I think it's him. Like even George, who's been their most productive receiver, I want to talk about him next. He's had a couple down weeks, including this one. I don't know that Jalen's ever had like a week where I'm really questioning his production or what he's doing when he actually gets opportunity. Yeah, and it's that's the tricky part about the conversation is anything you say positive to Jalen Warren, people immediately take as a negative towards Najee Harris, which, yeah. I mean, isn't the case. I, I, I think that both are allowed to be good running backs. And, and those two things can exist. One of the things I also would like to add to what you were talking about with Jalen Warren is too, like I think that he's a solid player in pass protection as well whenever he's back yeah. there with Kenny. Yes. He's able to pick up those linebackers, pick up guys off the edge. I, I think that he does a good job in every facet of the game and is really undervalued. But may, honestly, maybe not even undervalued because so many people call for him to be the starting running back over, over think, Najee yeah. Harris. So... I, but I see, guess that's that's what I was trying to say. Yeah, like it's not so much on his own merit. I feel like, it, which if you want to say that he should be the number one running back just because of how productive he is and leave Najee like out of the conversation, whatever. But I just I feel like people that are propping up Jalen, it's more so to bash Najee than it is just about Jalen, and that's the issue that I take. Yeah, well, I I think both of them had a solid night on Thursday. They 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 both had good games. Jalen has, like you said, the 14 touches for what, like a buck 15, something yeah. like that. 130. So, I think it was 113. Total. 113. All right, nerd. Well, I, 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 I think that that's a, that's a great indication. And then Najee, he had, I think like around 70 yards. He had the touchdown. I, I think that to be able to have both of these backs is a benefit to the Steelers and the great part about it is they're so different than the, you can use utilize them so many different ways that the Steelers offense could get really creative, especially like you said, it would be really interesting to see what they can do if they're both on the field. Um, I, I think that you could get some really creative stuff going with that because of yeah. how, how versatile both of them are, but they are completely different backs at the same time. Yeah, Jalen with 113 yards and Najee Harris had 76 total yards in this game, so um what was it 14 touches for Jalen and uh 16 plus 18 touches for Najee Harris um to your point and I want to parlay this into the final thing that I wanted to bring up with the Steelers offense is George Pickens don't want to talk about the Instagram off field stuff that's not the conversation that I'm trying to have at all I hope that we can just put that to rest um I didn't what I want to talk about yeah, yeah, it is what it is. It's it's nothing. It's a whole bunch of nothing. Um, I want to talk about his production, though, because over the last couple of weeks, so since Deontay came back, I mean, that first game against the Rams, he did have five for 107. Um, long to 31 kind of closed out the game with a big play from Kenny. But since then, he did score a touchdown against Jacksonville, but that was his only catch. So one catch, 22 yards, a touchdown versus Jacksonville. 
uh, this past game, two catches, negative one yard against Tennessee. Um, are we concerned about the production or, or are you kind of just of the mindset that they need to find a way to get him the ball, even in these situations, but really it's just a product of him drawing that much more attention. Like this is why Deontay Johnson has come back and been so productive is because George is the one drawing all this attention. I think George has been, been drawing the attention. And I think that also when I look at how versatile the the route tree is for a guy like Deontay Johnson versus a guy like George Pickens, at least up to what we've seen him make plays on. I feel like it's it's more of a one-way street with how we've gotten George Pickens the ball. So I think that it's easier for defenses to key in, key in on and, and to cover. As far as like Deontay Johnson goes, you can really move him around when it comes to his routes and, and he can get the ball at any part of the field. Mostly, George Pickens has been getting the ball on a go route to the outside, and I feel like teams are going to key in on that. That's going to be easier to defend, and they're going to key in on him specifically having those double coverages. And like one of the things that was said that by by Kenny was it last week against the Jags is that having having Deontay Johnson back, or or was it this week? No, it was this week. I think against the Titans, like having George out there. Um, it, 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 even though he didn't do anything on the stat sheet wise, like he had two catches for negative one yards, which is an mm-hmm. absolutely hilarious stat line, by the way, for a <laughs> wide receiver. But yeah. to, even though he had that, he still has an impact on the field because he's drawing some of those double coverages from the defense and is able to open up guy the open up space for other guys on the defense. So I'm not necessarily concerned about George Pickens himself and like that, these past couple weeks. With, with the catches and the yards going down, I think those those will come, especially as Deontay Johnson gets back and gets an even bigger role into this offense. I feel like more defenses will have to key in on him as well as George. But I think that one thing that the, the Steelers offense can do to at least get him more involved based off of what we've seen so far is kind of evolve the way that they can get him the ball because up to this point, I feel like it's been kind of a one-way street with how they are getting him the ball and it's getting easier for defenses to, to stop that. And so get him, get more creative with his routes and and try to see if they can get things across the middle of the field with George, kind of like you do with Deontay sometimes. Well, like I, I think that that's something that you need to do. Well, that second drive of the game, I mean, Kenny overshoots him by a good like, 20 yards it seemed like i mean george has probably 20 yards on that play if uh if that hits him in stride but super high out of reach totally and then george not getting that foot down as well like uh, you know he's got some blame in this what are too. we doing what are we doing yeah like gunner oshevsky makes that a touchdown like that's because gunner oshevsky's legs can't spread that far <laughs> apart my my point being, ninety nine percent of receivers in the NFL get two feet in on that, including George. Ninety nine percent of the time, like it's just yeah. super weird that he wasn't able to get two feet in there. Um, so some of this is on him, some of this is on Kenny, some of this is on Canada. I think they do need to find a way to steam up ways to get him the football, even when he's drawing that much attention. Here's why I'm worried about it, and it has nothing to do necessarily with George himself, is nobody outside of Deontay Johnson is taking advantage of that attention that's being taken away. Like, they need somebody else in this passing game to step up. Whether it's Allen Robinson, whether it's Calvin Austin, hopefully we see Pat Fryermuth come back sooner rather than later, and he's able to factor into this passing game more than he did prior to injury. Kenny Um, also missed on Calvin this week. He underthrew the ball. He underthrew that ball. Yep, he did. Um, so there's that is why I'm concerned. It's not necessarily George himself. It's that nobody else is really stepping up in this passing game to provide a reliable target for Kenny. And 
you know, is that going to happen? But the reason I said that I wanted to partly the conversation is because I think right now there's an argument that Jalen Warren's their number three wide receiver, which is stupid. Great player. I love Jalen. That shouldn't have to be the case because again, while he can do a, he can do a lot of different things. It's not like he can run every route on the tree and line up in the slot and do a bunch of different things for you like a receiver can. So him being your number three receiving option, great for him. I, I don't know that that's a sustainable thing for this offense. It's not. It's it's definitely not. Um, and I, I think that's part of the problem is like after after the top two receivers without Pat Frymuth, you don't really have a true third pass catcher. At least that's that's truly consistent game in and game out that you can rely on because Allen Robinson has shown that he is not reliable it's, at like it's at Joe all. Over. It, it's what? <laughs> you know that meme with Biden? It's Jover. It's Jover. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I've it's over. Like he's 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 listen, I'm still and, and this is an opinion that somebody threw out there actually to Alan and I, uh, not Robinson Saunders. And uh, it was they were still and this is when they the threw stuff out to him. <laughs> this was when the stuff was going on with George over the weekend. Um, they said this is why I was on board with bringing in Alan Robinson, even if he doesn't have much gas left in the tank. I just think they need that type of presence in the room, which I agree with. But if you're asking that guy to be a wide receiver three instead of a wide receiver four. That's where I think that you have some problems. So really, to me, you were either asking Allen Robinson to have much more left in the tank than what he's shown he has, or Calvin Austin to take a massive leap that was probably unfair to expect for a fourth-round pick that completely lost his rookie year. Like, he's going to be great for a splash play here and there. There's nothing consistent about his game, though. Probably going to be just as valuable just running down the field and drawing some DPIs on Flacco plays more than anything else. Um but yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with his receiving room. You got Deontay, you got George. I think they're both very good receivers, but having nothing behind them kind of makes it where one of those guys, and it's been George the last couple of weeks, is able to get completely eliminated from the game plan. I think you could also make the argument that as far as pass catchers go, the one that probably gets open the most consistently after those top couple guys, even though he doesn't necessarily get the ball all the time, is Connor Hayward. I feel yeah. like he's open. He's open more often than not, and so should have had a touchdown. A, a pure pass catcher, he's probably getting more open, way more than and you Alan know Robinson, he's Calvin Austin. Yeah, you know he's going to yeah. catch it. Yeah, you know it's we've talked about maybe it being a little bit of a surprise that he's operated as the number one tight end uh, in the absence of Pat Fryermuth. But hey, I, I don't like watching back the tape. He's he's doing a lot of good things on tape. He's just not necessarily getting the football in the ways that you'd like. If Kenny were more, and again, it goes back to something we've talked about the last few seasons is, but the middle of the field has kind of been open and it's just not getting utilized. Connor Hayward's there a ton. I think he could be utilized a lot more than what we've seen in the botch store to look a lot better than what we've seen for him this year. Um, I don't know. I think it's really got to be a point of emphasis when Fryermuth comes back to get somebody else involved because I think that's the way that you kind of get George going. Um, it's weird, you know. He was able to to get his numbers though without Deontay. So, and he would think that he's drawing just as much, if not more, attention without him. Now that he's back, I don't necessarily think it's for a lack of you know, opportunities or anything like that. It's just weird. It's weird that uh, we've seen back-to-back weeks now with the production being down. I feel like because of everything that's happened on this mini bye week, it's really going to be a point of emphasis to get him involved early against Green Bay. I agree. And, and, you know, maybe because of the production, 
when Deontay was out, that's why defenses are keying in on him more than they they are not right yeah. now. So I would you would think though that they would be able to adjust to that earlier than that. Like I mean, who else? We're talking about the Steelers' offense. Yeah, they're who not adjusting to, to anything. No, I'm saying for uh, for defenses adjusting to Georgia's production. Like, oh, yeah, it's odd to me that you would look at. I mean, look at their offense. If it's not George that you're keying in on, who would it have been without Deontay? So I, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Um, was there anything else that you want to talk about Steelers wise? Because I think uh, I've kind of said my piece on a lot of things. Uh, just one more thing um, that'll probably make a lot of the fans. We got your predictions as well. Yeah, go ahead. Renegade is uh, still doesn't work. Just, just saying. <laughs> the, the play after Renegade, they give up a big first down. Okay, the, the, yeah, it, was the like, it was like three. Like it was super quick too. It was like a three-step drop from Levis immediately, like fifteen seconds after the song is over. They 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 gave up a big play, and yeah. <laughs> and our Frank, my my friend Craig, texts me immediately. And he's like, "Don't say a word about Renegade." It's <laughs> <laughs> like, but listen, but being in the stadium for it though. Oh yeah, that's the it. thing. That's the During thing. I will too. I will never take away from. The, the the atmosphere that it brings in the stadium, but as far mm-hmm. as what it does on the field, zilch, nada, absolutely nothing. Um, we got to talk about this this Packers game now and give some predictions for this one. Um, I I don't like. I'm not saying that this is a guaranteed victory or anything like that. The Packers are coming off a win against the Rams. Granted, it was without Matthew Stafford. Packers have done a good job of stopping the run the last couple of weeks. Uh, I thought Jordan Love had maybe his second best game of the season against the Rams, really turned it on the second half after a not-so-good first half. Aaron Jones pretty much 100% at this point. Uh, they do have some you know, explosive – they have Christian Watson who can definitely take the top off if you're not careful with him. I just I think any challenge that the Packers present for the Steelers, they're going to have an answer to. Um, I think things would really have – like the Steelers, in my opinion, would have to lose this football game. To lose this football game, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's sound logic. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think that the Packers are really struggling right now. Even despite coming off of a win against mm-hmm. the Rams, I don't think the Rams are necessarily a good football team either. So I don't think that that's necessarily anything to Staffordless Rams, by the way. Staffordless Rams as well. Um, but I, I, I think that they're really struggling, and the Packers are truly in a rebuild stage uh, honestly they they've they fully yeah. bought into like jordan love is their quarterback right now they've and they are in a situation that they have never been in before or at least not ha- haven't been in in a very 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 long time so i i feel comfortable with this game obviously i think that there's there's certain guys on the packers that that could pre present like some concerns for the Steelers. Like I want to know if the Steelers are going to be able to stop the run against some of the, like the Packers running backs, like AJ Dillon and Aaron Jones. I think that those guys can, can pre- present a problem for the Grant, Steelers. Uh, by the way, I just want to mention AJ Dillon, least efficient running back in the entire NFL so far this year. Really That's crazy. <laughs> yes. Well, I know I, I, Somebody I don't put know. out a tweet that's hilarious. It's like if you need three yards, AJ Dillon's gonna get three yards. If you need seven yards, AJ Dillon's gonna get three yards. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just wanted to say like I don't know what 
the stats look like as far as like rushing yards given up per game by the Steelers defense the past few games. But I know that like through the first like four or five games, they were bottom of the NFL. They were giving up like a hundred and, and, and like 80 yards rushing on like on the ground per game. So mm-hmm. I think that the Packers, at least in that sense, they, they have some sort of like threat on the ground there. I'm not really worried about through the air. I think that even if there's some talent on that, on, in the right wide receiver room with uh like Christian Watson, like you said, like they target him like four or five times a game. I just don't think Jordan Love is that great of a quarterback that he's going to distribute the ball and beat you through the air. So I think that if the Steelers are able to get to him and make his life uh like life tougher on Sunday and then also be able to to shut down the run, I think that that'll go over for success. And I think that I don't think that the Green Bay defense is anything that the Steelers offense uh, should necessarily worry about. They've faced way tougher defenses. So I think that this is another good opportunity coming up for the Steelers offense to continue to grow upon some things that they've had in the past um, and, and to grow upon things that they've been doing. So I think this is a, a good game. It's also at home again. So three straight. that's a, that, that's three straight. And so I, I think that it's an exciting game for the Steelers and especially like two storied franchises with the Packers and the Steelers. And I saw you put out, I think today it's crazy that like big Ben and Aaron Rodgers yeah. that only met up like one time in, in one time in, in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Yeah. Yep. One time in Pittsburgh, one time in green Bay, which is in 2021. And then the Super Bowl when they played each other, Super Bowl 45. That's it. We don't need to talk about that. Yeah. Um, score wise, I think the Steelers take this one 26 to 17. Um, yes, 26 points for the Steelers offense. I, I'll be honest, like, again, I'm kind of buying into the idea that the game plan and the play calls, it's been there. I think the last couple of weeks, I think the execution has been what lets them down. If Kenny can hit on some plays earlier, I see no reason that they can't score 24 plus in this one. I'm saying 26. 26 17. Uh, we I didn't talk about the Packers defense at all. They're, you know, kind of in the middle of the pack, like, but I think it's more so because of the talent. I think their steam stinks. I think it has for a long time. I'm surprised they brought back Joe Barry. But like Jair Alexander, probably a top three corner in the league. Rashawn Gary, very good pass. Rush, you got to be weary of uh Preston Smith on the other side of him. Devondre Campbell's a really good off-ball linebacker. Uh Quay Walker is hurt right now and he missed last week. He missed practice. Uh, Wednesday as well. So I don't know that he returns in this game, but you know, he's, he's a playmaker if he's able to get back for this one. So I think there's guys to watch on that defense for sure. I just, again, I think the Steelers have the answer for any type of problem that the Packers can present them. The over under for this game is 39 and a half. I'm going to, I would say I take the under in that game, but my Steelers score is going to be 24 to 13. Think the Steelers Here, so here's the thing that goes with what you're saying and kind of against me because my store would be over that uh the last is it five weeks the Steelers and Packers are tied for second and the least amount of points given up per game well there you go so, yeah I say I say Steelers win 24 to 24 to 13 I think okay. they take care of business. see you said I'm not saying that's like super comfortable but that's a two possession win like mm-hmm. that's 
that's about as comfortable of a win no, as you I, I, I think I think that it will feel comfortable. Like I, I, I think that this game is is one where the Steelers have an opportunity to like obviously it's not going to be no stress. I'm not going to say that they're going to 49ers, the Packers, what they what they experienced in week one. I mean, talking of the Steelers, of course. But mm-hmm. I, I think that as much as a comfortable game as you're going to feel, this has an opportunity to present itself as such. So I think that you're going to be able to to be ahead by a couple scores in this game and not really feel the pressure because I don't think that, especially offensively, I don't think the Packers have the skill set to be able to come from behind and yes i'm going to say the steelers are going to be leading in this game for the vast majority of this game and the, the packers are going to come have to come from behind i don't think that they have the skill set to do it i like it okay well there it is let us know what you guys think uh in the comments uh, as tyler mentioned at the beginning of the show also check out the description of the show where we have year six of rocking around the 412 we're going to be holding that uh for about another month or so we'll be taking donations uh, every single penny that is donated to the cause goes directly to providing Christmas for children in the 724 and 412 areas. Uh, Tyler and I never had to worry about where Christmas was coming from growing up, so we created a Christmas mission with that goal in mind. And also last year, we partnered up with the East Rochester Salvation Army. As many of you probably know, you know, if you ever see those red kettles with the Salvation Army, this is where that is going uh, to provide off their angel tree that they do every year at Christmas. Uh, we lost our friend Dalton Keen last year and decided to start doing this in his name. Thanks to his girlfriend, Kaylee, their daughter, Isla. They wanted to be involved with the mission. This was their way of being involved and giving back. Um, and it, it's just been awesome to be a part of. We've already got like, and she's been awesome with it. She got eight different people already to take tags uh, on their own. This isn't even like part of the, the kids that we're going to be adopting on their own. Mm-hmm. Take tags off the angel tree. Also, shout out to our sponsor, Teach Barbershop, who's going to be doing the same thing. That's also a drop off location. Again, for anybody in the area that would rather actually be hands on with it, reach out to us um, and we can make that happen as well. But yeah, the GoFundMe link is right in the description of this. Read about the mission. If you donate at least $10, you're going to be eligible to win some prizes. Tyler just added a autographed Minka Fitzpatrick jersey to that prize pool as well. Um, so yeah, donate at least $10. You can win an Eric Carlson Jersey, some penguins tickets, a Joey Porter jr. Jersey or a Minka Fitzpatrick autographed Jersey. That's what we got right now. Uh, we will see, you know, how that continues to go monitor it. And if those, those prizes continue to grow, uh, we got to get at least one thing in there that's pirates related too. So, uh, which by the way, didn't record one this week, but MLB free agency starting should be back with the pirates episode next week. Um, also, check out our friend Haley Wagner's Everything Custom Designs, the Etsy and Facebook links right down below. Get some customized clothing uh, as a Christmas gift or custom pajamas like I always got every year on Thanksgiving and Tyler got around Christmas time. Uh, maybe an apron to cook in Thanksgiving, maybe a stocking for Christmas she can do as well. I know she can't do any hats, but I, I'm not sure about stocking, so maybe you could reach out to her on that and see. Uh, but other than that, For Smitty, for Tyler, this has been Around the 412. Go check out another video popping up on the screen right now, and we will see you guys next time. Bye-bye.